Welcome to episode 207 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent and Jason here as always. And this week, we have a member of another podcast as our guest. We sure do. We have one half of Metal Up Your Podcast, which is one of the premier Metallica podcasts in this world. The premier, yes. I say one of the because I really love Alpha Metallica, as I know you do. Yes, Alpha Metallica is great. But that's a pretty specific type thing he does. Yes. Metal Up Your Podcast is more broad, but we'll get into that here in a bit. But we've got Clint Wells here, which is very cool. Very cool conversation with him coming up. But first, we got to let you know we're sponsored by DEB Concerts. DEB Concerts brings in tons of shows here to the Tulsa area. They have also booked a stage at Rocklahoma, the DMB Processing Stage, with a ton of great acts out there. But here in Tulsa at the Ideal Ballroom, they're bringing Saxon on February 13th. That's right. That'll be the place to be. Yeah, we're getting close. Saxon's going to roll into Tulsa on the wheels of steel. Sorry, I mean, last week we were doing puns. I don't know. If yeah, hey, you know, we, we, anytime's a good time for puns. Yeah, especially if they're Saxon-centric. That's right. <laughs> but Eddie Trunk will be hosting this. Yes. And our friends in Down for Five and Mudflux will be opening this show as well. Yeah, it's going to be a hell of a night. Yeah, both those are great metal bands from the Tulsa area that you should check out. And you should also purchase your tickets through them as well. Yes. If you're not in the area and you're coming in, you can hit them up on Facebook. They'll get them to you. Or if you're in the Tulsa or Oklahoma City area, it's very easy to meet up with these guys. It helps them out. You get a discount on the ticket as well. So do that. Definitely do that. So yeah, Saxon will be here February 13th. It's going to be amazing. They're an amazing live band. We've also got a new sponsor that debuted this past week, Med Farm. Based in Broken Arrow, they are located off Highway 51, about halfway between Broken Arrow and Coweta, about a quarter mile past Anita Road. They are a dispensary that 30% of their profits goes towards no-kill animal shelters. And they are in the process of, you know, raising money to build these. Spoke with them, they said they're going to start with one and hopefully build more as time goes on. But that's something that's greatly needed, and that's a great thing. Yeah, it's a great cause, noble as fuck. So, yeah, Med Farm, get into it. Yeah, and if you go in there, they've got a wide selection of everything that you would need. If you go in there and mention that you heard about them here, or you saw our thing on Facebook or anything, if you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order, which is a great deal as well. They also have a doctor on site if you need a card every... Friday and Saturday from 1 p.m. or from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. So get over there, check out Med Farm. That's P H A R M. Follow on Facebook, Instagram is at Med Farm OK. And we're glad these guys are on board. Definitely. All right, before we get into a lot of Metallica stuff, yes. we need to mention COC and Crowbar. Wow, do we? We, we, we kind of haven't really even talked about yeah, just on the our own. show on our own because... This is our first time know, we saw each other since that night. Yeah, we split and you went to get a shirt. Right. Uh, so, I mean, wow. <laughs> I mean, go for it. Start start us off. Well, the, the show was those two bands along with Weed Eater is this tour. And then Mothership is on this part of the tour. And then The Obsessed is on... 
the second half of the tour. Unfortunately, I got there too late to see Mothership. I was really wanting to see. Yeah, we got there right as yeah. they were, uh, right as they, they got off the stage. Yeah. Mel and I walked in. So we've seen them now a couple of times, and they are fantastic. If you're yeah. not familiar with that band, definitely give them give them a listen. They are very cool, out of the Dallas area. But Weed Eater is one of those bands that's been around for quite a while, and I've I don't think I've ever seen them. Like, no, I, I just haven't. you know they you always see them on tours or you know in this region, but it just never worked out to where I've seen them. Yeah, and I mean this is a band that fits perfectly on a bill with Coc and Crowbar. Uh, they per- kind of fall right between the two, I think. If you want yeah, to. it's perfect. It's uh, you know no frills, uh, you know gritty, uh, sludgy kind of stuff, and uh, vocals caustic. You know, I mean just. Strip the paint off the walls in the best way. Yeah. Um, you're hearing this name for years. It was great to finally see him. Just a three piece, um, just throwing down, you know, slamming. That's really all you want. Yeah. And what was that? Mel said that she feels like most of her songs are about cocaine. Yeah. I, I think haven't so. verified that. I don't know. <laughs> one, of, one of them, one of them, he said was about, uh, Evan Williams, I think. Okay. Jim Beam. Nice. One of the one of the whiskeys that's not Jack Daniels. Forgive me that I forgot already. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh I love their album titles. Uh, you know, uh what was it Injustice for Y'all? Yeah. Fucking uh, uh God Luck and Good Speed. <laughs> Fucking A, man. I mean, you know, and, and and I loaded up a whole bunch of them the other day at work and just listened to them for like two hours straight. You know, and it's, you know, it, it, it's just that great, rootsy, hard, uh, just, you know, comes from the dirt kind of fucking, you know, sludge and just breakdowns. It's great shit. I like that. It comes from the dirt. There you go. <laughs> well, speaking of sludge, crowbar. Oh, man. It's probably the king of it. The, the riff lord cometh. That's he right. cameth or whatever the fuck, <laughs> however you say it. I mean that I think that was probably the best time I've seen Crowbar. I've gotta say. That was probably the three or four times I've seen him now, that was the best. It's been more than that now, hasn't it? Oh man, I was well, thinking it's been about a few that. Lately, the other day. But then there's a couple of times back in the nineties that, you know, I can't I can't I remember it was cool, but I can't remember how because it wasn't like I think you I don't I didn't see him back in the nineties. Okay. I really thought, well, I know I saw him that time, yeah, at that New Year's Eve show with yeah, Pantera, I but then I thought I, I saw him opening for someone at the Brady once, but regardless, you're right. I mean, and it was, I was talking to Steve Ray and he had even mentioned the same thing. He's like, I think this is the best time I've seen him. You know, I've seen him a bunch of times. Yeah. And I mean, it was on point. Everything, every, every piece of their set was on point. I mean, yeah. the. You know, the way Matt and Kirk work together, um, just those riffs. Um, I mean, the, the rhythm section was insane. Uh, Kirk's voice sounds, you know, it's like he's so gruff, but, you know, they're singing under there. There really is. And, I mean, it was, this is why they've, you know, really become one of my most favorite bands in the past, you know, 10, 13 years. I mean, I, I just, I, I love what they do and, and, you know, they're still doing it, and they're still doing it at such a high level. Well, see, that's the thing. Every time we've seen them, they've been great, so it's hard to, like, imagine it, like, 
how did this stand out as being so much obviously as the best time i don't know it just yeah i know yeah it's and, just i don't know i love the set list yeah. planets collide you know and they played new shit i mean they, they really spanned their whole i mean it was just it was great broken glass i mean fuck man yeah it was funny when i was talking to steve like because i'd seen him right when i started so we're just like randomly talking here and there but and you can't talk much during a crowbar set but like yeah i leaned over i said how long do you think it's before it is before kirk mentions the Saints game. <laughs> and literally the song ended and he started talking about that's it. That's fucking awesome. And then I thought later, maybe that's why they're so good because they were so pissed off about the end of that game that it, it, they just released it all it, into that set. It, it drove them. So we yes. got like one of those magic nights. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Which maybe, I don't know if Pepper's a football fan too. I have no idea. But he's from Nolans as well. No. So... Maybe he was pissed because that was on point. Because that well. was, yeah, that was insane. That again, like you know, on the way home we were talking about. I was saying I think that's the best time I've seen both these bands. Yeah, it's I a- mean, it was just it was fucking it was great. It was like you know the stars aligned or something. Yeah, every time I see Coc, I think this was fucking amazing. Just because you know I'm a fanboy of that band. Yeah, and of especially Pepper. That, but I mean that time. You know, that the first time way back in the mid-90s always stood out as just being one of my favorite shows. And mm-hmm. then later on when we saw, you know, a few other times and we saw them more recently at that Dime Bash show, which was really good, yeah. cool. That headline set they did there. And, you know, all the other times in between. But then this time they're headlining again. And it's just kind of like Crowbar. It was just elevated up a notch. Yeah. But to me, the set list, the set was list fucking awesome. Man. The set list is what was the icing on the cake oh, man. because I never, when I see bands like this that I'm such a huge fan of, you're always like, there's, there's always like three songs, man. I wish these guys would fucking play mm-hmm. about any band, and they're never gonna fucking play them because you're dork and it's like a deep <laughs> cut, you know. Yeah. Well, and if, what did they do? If I was like, if Pepper walked up and said, "Hey, what three songs do you want to fucking hear?" I would have said. Deliverance, Diablo Boulevard, and Long Whip Big America. Yeah. And we got two we of them. We got three. two of them, so you can't complain. Yeah. And then yeah. right in between that was uh, Senor Olympio. Oh, man. That which was is insane. one of their best songs. I was well, like, are which... you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> I'm like, so those three songs cool. in a row, I'm like, yeah. just them starting Long Whip blew my mind. Then yeah. going into that blew my mind. And then Diablo Boulevard starts. And I'm like, what the fuck? I just threw my hands up in there. I, I mean, you can't, you can't beat it, man. <laughs> I, know. I mean, it's just, yeah, I... I I love this band, and I'm glad they were putting some shit from America's Volume Dealer in there. Um, you know, it's just... Yeah, two songs. Yeah. And they yeah. weren't even... Because before when we'd seen them, you just got one, Who's Got the Fire. Yeah. And now you got two different songs, along with 13 Angels. And that's the other thing. They played two songs from In the Arms of God. I know. I know. They Where they had they, only they been doing any, one. Yeah, they didn't leave anything out. They touched every album that Pepper yeah. was on, you know, because yes. they also played Vote with a Bullet from Blind. Yeah. And there's at least two songs from every album. And, of course, Deliverance had more in the new album. Had yeah, three. I mean, they really crafted a, a, a great set. Yeah. I My only complaint was I wished it was a little bit longer since it was a headline set. Yeah. But I'm not going to cry since I got that set list now. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, such a... If this tour... And it's the, the tour is just getting started. If this tour rolls into your town, you need to fucking go. You just need to. Yeah, this is a metal onslaught. Oh, man. 
because you got, like we said, those four bands we just mentioned, and if you're in the, the section of the tour that gets the obsessed, you're that much more blessed. Yeah, definitely. Hashtag blessed if you get to see Wino. Yeah, that's insane. Speaking of, he's coming Which, up with Yeah, Saturn. fucking I Hate God Me Obsessed. Holy crap. <laughs> um, I will be at that show. Yeah. Even if it's a weeknight out of town, you're going. Yeah, what is it, a Monday night? Guess I what? So. I don't give a fuck. I'm going. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right, before we get into Metallica again, I got one other thing. Oh, shit, okay. You know, All right. We, All right. we did the Metallica review thing. Yeah. Metallica review thing. Sorry. It's in my head. The Rocklahoma uh, yes. reaction thing. Okay. Last week. And I was going to read a couple comments. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, there was a few on Facebook, but one, some kid on YouTube, I can't even really read his name, Edit God 71 or something, said, I wish I could go, but I'm only 11. I love Ozzy. Hey, so, hey we got an 11-year-old listening to us. That's cool. That's right. Hey, <laughs> you know, we appreciate you. Yeah. And, you know, your time will come, my friend. Your That's time right. will come. And Johnny Andrew on YouTube wrote, good podcast. I really like the lineup reaction and festival recaps that you guys do. You guys are spot on, on your with your comments. My only feedback is that the, the Rootsy-type bands like... Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown, the Glorious Sons play the second stage. Typically, those types of bands' performances come off as muted on that stage due to the sound quality and the crowd interaction. But fuck it, I'll still watch them at Rocklahoma and see them again in a venue in my hometown anytime. There you go. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, those bands, they're particularly probably will be on one of the side stages. Yeah. And it's yeah. cool. You can get up close, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that's where I've. Saw Scorpion Child a couple of times, yeah. the Truck Fighters. Yeah. So, and, and we saw Tyler Bryant in the Shakedown uh, not too long ago with Clutch and Seven Dust at Kane's Ballroom. That's right. They were great. Yeah, and I didn't even, I must have forgot, I don't think I saw them, but Glorious Sons has played Rocklahoma before. It's like three or four years ago. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We, we were talking about it the other day and we found it on YouTube. There's a clip of it on YouTube. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't know and they have, so... But also on Facebook, this is kind of related to, not really, but kind of related. It's related to Rocklahoma. I was going to give a shout out to our buddy Alan Powell. Nice. Because yes. he made that post about, he's like, after seeing that new map for Rocklahoma, I didn't plan on ever leaving the main stage, <laughs> which is the same thought I had in my head. But he said, <laughs> but after jamming Zen Hipster this morning, <laughs> yep, well, thank you. I'm going to have to check them out. So he's, your music is good enough that he's willing to walk to go see you. How well, <laughs> I appreciate it, and we appreciate it, and we're going to put on a damn good show, so I uh, hope to see you there, and thank you for the comment, Alan Powell, and thanks to everybody there for those comments. Yeah, and <clears throat> we always see Alan at Rocklahoma, and thanks for the fish. There you go. And just hanging out. Yeah, for sure. And here's a random comment that wasn't really a comment, it was a text I got, and okay. I'm just going to, I didn't even ask permission, but he's not going to care. I have to say this because it cracked me up. Did you? T I don't know. If, I don't know. If I, I know didn't tell you because I was waiting oh, okay. for Jared. To All right. It. Well, let's hear it. This is from my cousin. Oh, okay. Jared. Gotcha. He's like, I was just listening to your your YouTube Rocklahoma reaction, and you guys need to quit hating on Seether. <laughs> he's like, that's my favorite band, and he's like, and Jason keeps dissing Seether, so someone get me the weights. <laughs> Yes, that's awesome. 
Oh man, that Random fucking inside, hurt. Inside that jokes. fucking hurt. <laughs> oh man. Okay. All right, man. I will lay off either. Okay. I don't. I don't. I don't want to relive that moment. Right. <laughs> All right. So, Metallica. Yes. Came to Tulsa, Oklahoma, January eighteenth, last Friday night. They rolled into town. So where do we start here? I guess we start with, well, I worked at the show. Yeah, I I just, well, before that, really, I just think it's, I I think it's so special, you know, you know a band is more than just, you know, your favorite band, or more than just, oh, some metal band drilling through town, and, you know, the Iron Maiden show at the BOK Center is the same way, when there's, you know, when there's a buzz about it all week, when there's... People are talking about it. Everyone's getting ready for it. You know, they've got their beer and, you know, all the bars are stocking up with it. You know, everyone's going crazy on social media. You know, you've got Lars uh, on his Instagram the night before uh, with a uh, a screenshot of his his flight radar saying, I'm almost there, Tulsa. I mean, just all this stuff just works everybody up into a frenzy. And really makes a whole vibe, you know, that, that, right. that, that goes over maybe a couple days, not just a couple hours at a concert. Um, so and I, they, they do that better than anyone except Iron Maiden. Yes, those are the exactly. two bands those, that do that. You're damn right. Those are the two bands that do that perfectly. I mean, the, there's such a presence with their social media and with, you know, they're on the major news, you know, they're on the, they're on like the five o'clock news in town and, that's just what I love. I love when a band does that, and it just happens to be my favorite band. But like I said, I had to parallel that with Iron Maiden because that's the same vibe and the feeling you got. Yeah. Minus, you know, their own plane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes, you got the, that's the main thing I think was really cool. I mean, you know, we can go over set lists and the show all day long, um, you know, and we know everyone had a good time and whatnot and whatever. But, you know, what I think is really unique to our our take on it here and on this podcast is you got to work the event. So uh, let everybody know, you know, fill everybody in on what, what you got to experience because it's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, I didn't work the actual concert itself. I worked the VIP, but it was the, the whiplash experience, okay. basically, because, you know, Metallica has a few different levels of VIP that you can add on to your ticket whether you have a seat or general mission. Mm-hmm. And the main one, well, I say the main one, the top level one is was also a part of this. Those people came in there as well. Yeah. Like they only sell 12 of those where the, that you can go meet the band. Yeah. Like 12 per show. And then, then there's the whiplash experience, which includes the spit out the bone buffet. There you go. Which aptly titled. There was no bones though. Which I think in Dallas, I went to that and there was. Yeah. Did you get to eat this time though? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they allowed me to eat. Nice. (laughs) Um, But it included the whiplash experience included the rolling Metallica Museum. Yes. As well, including all the other perks of like the, the merchandise and posters and stuff. But the museum was just kind of stocked full of you know, memorabilia, obviously mm-hmm. like yeah. there was flyers and there was, I think I sent you a picture of like, there was a, a flyer that they had handwritten with marker. It didn't have the year on it, but it had to have been 
well before Kill 'Em All. Oh yeah, because it was written like they were playing someone's birthday party. Yeah, I think. <laughs> and you know, or no, they were playing at a high school at 11 a.m. That's what it was. So okay, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, you sent me, you sent me the picture of it. Yeah. You know, and then it had like Lars's snare from the Justice Tour. They had like stage worn, you know, clothes from all of them. They had Rob's stuff from Suicidal Tendencies. They oh, had, that's cool. They had uh That's real cool. The lion that was on stage on the Injustice for All tour. Um just tons of you know, all the you know, like the American Music Award, the MTV Awards, the Grammy, whatever, all those actual awards were sitting there and, you know, behind glass as well. Yeah. And, then they had a, one of Lars's drum sets set up. And then they had the thing that I did was I worked the interactive guitar experience. Nice. Which they had a, a stage used guitar from Kirk, James, and a stage used bass from Rob. Wow. And they were all set up, like completely set up, ready to play. Like they were ran through fractal board that had their exact settings. You know, for their stage settings and their stage tuning and everything. Yeah. Each of them. And then you could pick it up. If you didn't know how to play guitar, just get your picture with their stage used guitar. Or you could put the headphones on and just play in their tuning. Fuck yeah. Or, and there, and also there was a iPad full of every, you know, the entire catalog. You could just pick a song and if you know it, play along with it. Yeah. Oh, that's that kind cool. of thing. Wow. And I, you know, I'd have people come up and I w- they would say, so what's the deal here? You know, and I'd tell them they could do that. And they're like, man, I play, but I suck. And I'm like, it's headphones, dude. You're the only one that's going to hear it. So yeah. they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's it, it's James Hetfield's guitar. Fucking play it yeah. for a minute. I did it. You know, yeah, you know how well yeah. I know anything. I don't know anything. And I did. Did you? Did I you, played. Uh, did you use the power chords yes. stuff that I sent you? Yes, I did. Okay, good. I did that, and I played the beginning of <laughs> Nothing Else Matters. Of course, because everyone's guitar. Because I know that. <laughs> and on Rob's, I just kept hitting the. Top string because it sounded cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing, but but yeah, I mean, so that was really cool because most people would come up to it just thinking it was a simulation type thing. Mm-hmm. And then you would tell them they were, it was stage used and that blew people's mind. Yeah. You know, that didn't know that. And so that was a really cool, you know, experience. And just to also see people see these dudes walked up that obviously know what the fuck they're doing and just mm-hmm. go nuts, you know. And yeah. The guy that was in charge of the museum. When we're setting it up, he said, you're going to have a lot of people, guitar nerds, come up to you and argue with you about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, so if you don't know some answers, here's some stock answers. He said, the main answer is that all the their tuning is a half step down Yeah. on stage, which most people are going to play this and think it sounds off. And then I had people tell me that, like, this isn't tuned right. And I'm like, it's a half step down. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. See, See, you know what? They're not guitar nerds or Metallica nerds, because if they were, they'd already know that. <laughs> Metallica have tuned down half a step for goddamn ages. So if you claim to be a Metallica nerd and you don't know that, then, I don't know, you're probably a fucking five-finger death punch nerd and get away. <laughs> well, I don't know. They paid a lot of money to come yep. to this experience. So so then why don't they know this shit? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so that was... You know, the gist of my experience, you know, besides, gotcha. you know, doing that. And so when you're, when you were done working, did you get to go to the spit out the bone buffet? Well, I got to do that during the, oh, okay. 
you know, so, they they just came by and said, hey, when you get a chance, go go eat. So, so what was on the menu? What'd you eat? I'm curious. I'm trying to remember. Actually, it was whether well, it was like grilled chicken and some kind of roast, some kind of beef, nice. and then just like tip, like you know, mixed vegetables mm-hmm. and um, some kind of pasta, some kind of rice, and then like carrot cake. Hell yeah, yeah. I feel like the one in Dallas seemed a little better, okay, food wise. But this one I was rushing because I was working too, so maybe that's yeah, why. exactly, uh, exactly. Well, that's cool, man. That's cool. You got to work. You got to work that experience. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was cool to be able to see all that memorabilia and stuff, and yeah, you know, get a little more in depth with that stuff than most people get the chance. And and then, of course, from there, I got to go over the show. You know, from working, helping tear down the museum, I was still able to get over there. And the only thing I missed was the opening and hardwired. Like, I walked okay. in right when they had started Atlas Rise. Okay, gotcha. So, thankfully, I didn't miss too much. Yeah. yeah. I thought I'd miss a little more than that, but that worked out. Yeah, that did, for sure. So, yeah, the the BOK sold out, and, you know, they released the next day that it was the biggest attendance ever. Set a record. Which kind of surprised me, because I really would have thought, even though it was in the middle, I mean... Bruce Springsteen, Garth Brooks had a stage at the end, but they had it to where all the stage was full and it was open on the back end all the way around. Yeah. But maybe there was still lower at the very bottom on that that couldn't be filled or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Or you could fit a few more people on a GA floor probably than those heads. No, Springsteen was GA, whatever. Yeah. But there you go. That's the, oh, step back real quick. I'd also found out that that museum... They've applied for the Guinness Book of World Records for the largest uh, traveling rolling museum. Hell yeah! And they, the I guy, hope. the guy said they'll get it supposedly. So yeah, I hope they get it. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, so BOK set a record for the largest attendance in history yeah. of Tulsa, which that's was awesome. Really cool. I mean, that's a testament to. I mean, Metallica's played the BOK before. Yes, in a, on a round stage. And they yeah. pulled in more people 10 years later. Gotta love that. Yeah. But so just going in, you know, to the set list, the first, I guess, kind of surprise was holier than now. Yes, it was. And for for me, uh, I mean, that was, that was all I was waiting for was one of those. One song like that. One of those <laughs> rare songs, you know. Yeah. And it's either usually in this fourth slot. Or it's a little bit, you know, later in the show, but we got we got it there. Well, am I wrong? It's holier than now. Was that on the fall shows at all? Because I didn't um, remember the set list I ever looked at. I didn't uh, notice it. I know they've played it more lately, like yeah. in later years. Well, I know but that. I, I, just, I can't. I can't remember if it was. I just didn't know about real recent. I mean, I don't know. I could go back while you're talking about it and look for real quick, but I don't know if well, you want to get that, that picky. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I, I know as far as what I was expecting, I wasn't expecting that, and. I was super happy about that. Yeah. That happening. I noticed in Little Rock a couple nights later, that spot was through the never. Yeah. So you're getting the deep cuts from the Black Album. Which is great. That's always a great thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, those are, I mean, those two songs are better than the the hits from the Black Album. Yeah, Even though the hits are still great. I don't know. Maybe one day they'll play Struggle Within again. That's that's the dream. 
other than the one time they played it. <laughs> They've only played it once? No, when they, they did, did the album in its entirety? Did, yeah, when they did the album in its entirety on that. Didn't they do that, like, on a tour or something? See, I should know I don't that. think it was now, a full I'm tour. I'm the one that doesn't know shit. Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you got the typical, what, five or six songs from the new album. which, And then the other, I guess, spots that, like, we got something different was, well, obviously towards the end we got blackened. Yeah. In the, in the encore. Which is usually, it, the encore usually is blackened, spit out the bone, or battery, or like fight fire with fire. Okay. It's something real thrashy before they go into nothing else matters in Inner Sandman. Right. You know, and then of course. Oh, and then the memory remains. Yeah, that was, that was cool. I mean, that's. You know that it's spanning the whole thing there. You yeah. know, but see, I and, love and, and they've 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 been good about getting either the memory remains or fuel in there. Yeah, I I much rather have memory remains and fuel. Yeah, but because it's a great live song, you get that sing along for the yes, yeah, you're right. Whatever her name is parts, Mary, Mary, Mary and faithful. faithful. Yeah, and uh, but. I was kind of hoping for something different just because that's the track we got when we saw him in Dallas. Yes. Oh, yeah, it was, wasn't it? But, no, I still rather have it than Fuel, so no complaints. Yeah, but you did get something different. The Soundgarden cover. Oh, well, yeah, I just meant in that spot. Yes, definitely. (laughs) But, yeah, we got Head Injury from Soundgarden, which is only the only other time they played this was two nights before at the Chris Cornell tribute in Los Angeles. Yes. So what a treat we got. Yeah, I mean, they played... At the Chris Cornell thing, they played All Your Lies and Head Injury mm-hmm. from Soundgarden. And then they played uh, Master Puppets and something else from the Beltos, I think. Gotcha. And uh, what you know is interesting. You know, if if you knew Metallica is going to play two Soundgarden songs, you know that they're going to be deep cuts. Yes, definitely. You know that they're not going to fucking they're play Spoon Man or hits, yeah. Like a Stone by Audio Slave or something like everybody else is doing. They're... Gonna go fucking deep, and they mm. went fucking deep. Yeah. They went to Ultra Mega OK, <laughs> which, you know, most people going deep would probably go to Bad Motor Finger. Yes. Maybe yeah. Loud Love if they're, like, feeling saucy. But not Metallica. <laughs> they're like, we're going to fucking Ultra Mega OK. There you go. And Head Injury, you know, I mean, I could I could see all your lies. You know, it fits when I hear it. It fits Metallica. Head Injury, when I think of the Soundgarden version, doesn't relate to Metallica. But mm. when they played it, it sounded cool. You know? Yeah. It's... It sounded like something they could easily record it and put on, you know, could have went on Garage Inc. or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, so, so we know we got a great set list. I, th- I really did think it was a good set list, you know. Yeah. I was hoping for something that was a little unique, and it was great. I mean, it had, we got Halo on Fire. I'm happy about that. Because yeah. that's, I love that song from New My only complaint of the new songs, it's like, I wish they would put something in besides Now That We're Dead. Because that song just kind of. It's not bad. It Does it bring it down for you a little yeah, bit? Yeah, it just kind of bores me. Yeah. I'm like, you know, we could be doing confusion or spit out the bone right here. You yeah. Know, but. <laughs> well, what do you think of the drum thing they do in the middle of it? I mean, that's cool. Yeah? I mean, we saw it in Dallas. Yeah. That was oh, good yeah. enough for me. I mean, I guess people haven't seen this, so I can't act like I'm the only person here. But, like, just the song as a whole yeah. doesn't excite me as much as several other songs. I get from that. The new album. I get that. Well, you know, I think the next thing... To move into is like, you know, I was in the lower bowl and, you know, I, I think that, I, you know, it seems like I've noticed this, you know, because 
that's kind of how Metallica has done it for the last 15 years or so is, well, longer than that, you know, 20, 25 years. So they play in the round. But I, you know, I, I was, I don't know what it is. It's like even in the lower bowl, you feel like it's a front row. It's like you, I guess it's just because it's in the middle of the thing, but that's such a smart way to do it. I kind of wish a lot of bands would do that. You can just see better. You know, there's just more of a, there's just more of a broad thing going on, you know, and with yeah. the cubes and the fucking drones and, you know, I, you know, I love how they, they, they show, you know, they, they, they put their logo over the Oklahoma flag yeah, cool or though. they show flyers from Canes and that kind of stuff that, you know, they, they make it personal to every city and I love how they do that. Um, and that just, you know, that's just such, that's the ultimate crowd pop. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, uh, <clears throat> well, you make a point because the stage being a square, but it's turned sideways to shape like a diamond, I yes. guess. Yeah. Where, to where there's two points, there's not much space between the edge of that point and the bowl. Yeah. You yeah, know, right, on yeah. the, on the far ends of it. Yeah. So that really, I think, I think that's what helps. If it was just a circle in the middle, like, that, that's what they were doing on Death Magnetic, at least, yeah. was a circle. Yeah. Which I think this just yeah, adds were. a little more to it and makes it that much closer to, further away people yeah you're right and that's the other thing i didn't mention i got clear up to the second and, and that's kind of where i was <laughs> gonna go you know i was gonna go into you got close as hell so talk about that well that's uh because kevin and rachel tracy david campbell trevor I'm trying to remember who else all these people went in together okay i think i don't know if trevor was with them but he was standing by him when i got over there yeah they all went in together and, you know, in the early entry and got down there and got right up front. And so once I got in there late, you know, I mean, that floor was fucking packed. So I just mm-hmm. like kind of weed my way in that. It took me to about holier than now once about when that ended. So maybe the fifth song was about the time I was able to squeeze almost over there. Nice. And then Kevin saw me and just did a Kevin thing and barreled through people, grabbed me and pulled me through the rest of the people. <laughs> God. But they had like kind of made space over there to where it wasn't like, yeah, I was like pushing anyone out of the way once I got over there. Yeah. But I was like, there was only one person in front of us to the rail. And so, yeah, I mean, in Dallas, I was on the rail, but it was in the AT&T stadium. Yeah, exactly. So when you're on, even on the rail, there was this massive gap between that and the actual stage. Yeah. Here, the gap between the stage was, you know, the the alleyway that they're walking and shit. Yeah. You know, there was like yeah, a little yeah. bit more, but it might have been like eight feet. And we were right there by the stairway that James and Kirk were using. For okay. their, you know, and their guitar tech was handing them the guitars and they would go down when they needed to come off. And I think Rob was using the other side usually. Gotcha. Um, and Lars, of course, was using the other side. But, so I mean, that was kind of cool to see him go down there and do their thing that I think, you know, if you're in different parts, you wouldn't have been able to see that. Oh, yeah, totally. And then at the end, I threw a Thunder Underground t-shirt at James. Yes. And his guitar, it landed on his guitar tech's shoulder as they're walking out, and he grabbed it and kept walking with it. He didn't throw it on the ground. So, <laughs> as far has... as we know, that James's guitar tech handed that to James, and James is wearing it right now. I hope so. Somebody has that shirt, god damn it. Someone in the Metallica camp. Yes. Not the Metallica family, because that's all of us. <laughs> but the actual Metallica organization. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Metallica Inc. 
So it, it was a great fucking night. We're going to do it all over again for Kansas City here in about a month or so. Maybe even Wichita if we get saucy. Well, I, um. I don't know. Was, <laughs> is that like, is it during, is it a weekend? Yeah, it's during a week. Uh, and it's, it's a Monday whenever Kansas City is a Wednesday. And it's probably fucking super expensive at this point. Well, Kevin posted just the other day. He got tickets for like 40 bucks. Where at? How? I don't know. It's StubHub or something. Well... Fucking, uh, I noticed the next weekend one is like, that would be even remotely close is Lubbock, Texas. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, nosebleed seats are like 250 bucks. I don't know know. if it's worth going to Lubbock for that. No, it's not. Six and a half hour drive. (laughs) No, I don't know if I got like $40 StubHub maybe, (laughs) but, you know, I don't know. I guess Metallica is a good enough reason to go to Lubbock. That might be the only reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, (laughs) but we know for sure we're going to be in Kansas City. Uh, so we'll do it all over again. That's right. Definitely. All right. So speaking of Metallica. Yes. If you've listened to us any amount of times, you might have heard us at some point mention Metal Up Your Podcast because we bring it up every once in a while. Yeah. This is a podcast done by Clint Wells and Ethan Luck, two musicians, both of them based out of the Nashville area, and both of them are musicians in the non metal world yes but they're both huge fans of metallica so they started this podcast about a little over two years ago because it was january 1st right of 2017 i think so i think so So, yeah because they just celebrated two years and they basically just started you know they would go through the albums or through do a show just on each guy and kind of you know they've just basically expanded this to like all kinds of topics Anything you can think of about Metallica, they've had as a topic probably by now. Yes, exactly. They've had some great guests. Uh, Ray Burton, Cliff Burton's father. Right. Uh, Michael Wagner, who uh, I think he mixed Master of Puppets. Yeah. He also um, produced Dog Eat Dog by Warren. Anyway. I know, one of the, one <laughs> of the great records. Um, and uh, they've had uh, Michael Alago on, who, you know, signed Metallica to Elektra. I mean, so they've done some really cool shit. Um, metal up your podcast, search, you know, search it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. It's the premier Metallica podcast. Yeah. These guys know their shit and they even early on were able to admit when they didn't know something. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the, the Metallica kind of fan base has kind of rallied around these guys and, you know, pushed them up there to, as far as I know, they're pretty well respected. Yeah, you know, what they're doing because they're both accomplished musicians in their own right. You know, just bringing in that perspective along with their fandom of Metallica yeah, is kind definitely. of a cool avenue, I think. Uh, oh, and also, um, they've had their crew on the show. Oh yeah. Um, and then I know that uh, one of the some listener wrote in or they called in. I can't remember. It's been a while, but he got the the uh, the hardwired experience to meet him, and this guy wore his Metal Up Your Podcast shirt, and Lars was like, "Hey, is that that podcast?" So they know about this podcast, you know. Yeah, you knew there was no way they didn't by now. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Which hey, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So maybe, you know, another year from now, you'll hear Lars on that podcast. Ah, uh, that would be badass. Right after you hear Rob on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
what we're going to do here before we get an interview is play some music. Yes. And this music right here is a Metallica cover by none other than our guest, Clint Wells. So let's just get into this before we talk about it. This is Motor Breath. Thank you. 
Motor Breath from Clint Wells. That is from Covered Our World Blackened Volume 2. That's right. And and if you're a Patreon of Metal Up Your Podcast, you can get that whole EP. Um, there's, I think, eight songs on it. And right. they, they do reimaginings of Metallica songs. Ethan, I don't know. That sounded exactly like the original to me. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Very funny, Trent. Okay. No, but for real, they... They, they do different takes, which I love. And, you know, I think that's one of the cool things about this podcast is, you know, they're not super fucking metalheads. They love a few metal bands, but they're about way more. And I think that, you know, gives them a different slant and gives them a unique perspective. And, uh, you know, the other cat that, that does this podcast with Clint, uh, Ethan Luck, his reimaginings of the songs are reggae versions. And he has a reggae album out too. Um, and it's, uh, super fucking awesome if you're into that. So check that out. And he's actually won a Grammy himself. Right? Yes, he has. Yeah. As part of, do you remember what that was? Uh, it was some part of a reggae album. Yeah. It was a reggae thing he did, but you know, he, he's, uh, he used to be in Demon Hunter for a while. This is Ethan Luck. Right. Uh, and he was in Reliant K. Oh, yeah. And he did a lot of stuff with uh, Kings of Leon and stuff. So these guys are all over the place. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's what you need. You needed some diversity to, to, to come into it and give it a different slant. Yeah. And like you said, that's Cover Our World Black in Volume 2. You can only get right now as a patron. Go to patreon.com, look up Metal Up Your Podcast. But Cover Our World Black in 1, Volume 1. Is available on iTunes. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find it pretty much where you can find me. You can find it on YouTube, whatever. Exactly. Just give this stuff a listen. It's all, you know, that had eight songs as well. It's all worth a listen. They, like, you know, as you can tell, they kind of focus on the deeper cuts. Yes, which is good. That's what you want. And I feel like maybe Sanitarium might have been the closest thing to a big <laughs> yeah. song that they did on any of these. It, it, yeah, and definitely go to iTunes and buy it. I mean, it's worth the money. And, you know, it goes to helping these guys out, uh, you know, you know, one day they're going to get Lars on and it's going to be because of, you know, their patrons, I think. So That's right. def- definitely, definitely, you know, hit them up and do this. And Clint Wells, like we mentioned, is a musician. You'll find out more about that here coming up. He tours with Rodney Atkins. He tours with Bob Schneider. I don't think he, he used to. With he, Bob used Schneider, to. Right? he has a podcast with Bob Schneider. That's right. Uh, called I'm okay. You're okay. I'm not okay. You're not okay. And it's, <laughs> and it's pretty fucking cool. They just, you know, each week they take out like 30 minutes and just kind of talk. And it's really cool. I like it. Well, check that out as well. And another thing I wanted to throw in before we get into this was I mentioned early on, if you're a Metallica fan and you haven't heard Alpha Metallica, that's another one that, you know, Met Up Your Podcast has had Tom Quee on. Yes. Both of them have been on his podcast. Both of us have been on Metal Up, or excuse me, on Alpha Metallica yes, with Alpha Tom Tal- Quee. Yeah. And just as it sounds, he is going alphabetically through the entire catalog of Metallica from A to Z. Well, from A to Y. I don't think there's any Zs, is there? No. But, and, you know, I did I Disappear. You did... Hate train. Hate train. I almost said Helen back. I was on the right EP there. Yeah, you were, yeah, you were in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. In the neighborhood of H, boys. Um, but the, yeah, Alpha Metallic is a great podcast. Um, I'm, I'm kind of backed up on it. I know they're on the M's. I gotta, I gotta get caught up on it. So yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. 
So yeah, check that out along with Metal Up Your Podcast. All right, I think it's been enough time. We need to get into this right now. Here's Clint Wells. I was riding today with a couple chicks, and once they split, I literally made a bowl of SpaghettiOs <laughs> and was watching Entourage, if that gives you any idea of what kind of stacked night I had. Nice, nice. So this is actually perfect. Good, good. Well, uh, yeah, I heard I heard your episode about the, the week you had in the prop plane, so we appreciate oh, your time. I'm sure that was, that was tiring. <laughs> it was honestly the most exhausting week of my entire year. I was telling my wife about it earlier. I was like, good God. I don't, like, I don't know if, if, if they literally like, hey, we're going to do that again next week. I might quit. I might be like, I can't do it. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, talking to some dudes about, about music is a piece of cake, dude. I'm excited yeah. about it. I got two Coors Lights ready to rock. I'm comfortable in my chair. No one's coming over. It's perfect. Well, I got my Lone Star, so we're ready to go. Oh, I love Lone Star. Just before we get into all the Metallica stuff, uh, talk about, you know, your start in music and, you know, how you got into writing and what's the allure of Nashville and in, in as opposed to like starting a band and being as a, in a band as opposed to just you, you know, writing music and that kind of thing. Well, <clears throat> you know, being in a band, I guess, is more fun. You, you, there's something I really do miss about um, being in a band of brothers and kind of us against the world. Um, I luckily did a bunch of that as a kid. The allure for me personally, and obviously <clears throat> I can't speak for everyone out there that's trying to make music, but the allure for me personally was Nashville and, and being a side guy, which is what I've really been doing the last 10, 15 years, was that I was able to make, to make a living, you know, able to really make money and support a family. So I kind of had to give up the, I mean, it makes it sound sadder than it is, but I kind of had to give up on being the next Tom Petty in order to uh, have a lucrative, like a viable career making music. And so that for me, that was Nashville. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, which is just three hours south. So a lot of people ahead of me in the game kind of made their pilgrimages up there. And as I started to tour more and play on more records, that widened my network to, to there too. And it became pretty clear after about five years of working in Nashville, I was driving up a lot to meet up with tours from Birmingham. It became pretty clear that I needed to move here. And it's been killer. I love it. And I mostly make country music and, and write country and pop music, but <clears throat> it's it's been great. I should have come up here a lot sooner. Yeah. Well, um, talk about, you know, when you were in those bands and you, you were touring, when, when did you know, you know, hey, I can I can write a song. I can I can do this for a living. I can you know be on the writing side of it and write for other people. It took me a while to to think to feel like there was a possible avenue for that professionally. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've been writing songs since I was like ten. <clears throat> you don't want to hear any of those songs ever. <laughs> Uh, mostly just about unrequited love from like chicks and you know <laughs> seventh grade or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and those songs are—I still have some of them. I actually found a whole box of like poetry. Uh, that my, it was like at my mom's house, and I was like, "That'll be fun to dip into." Maybe I was, maybe I was ahead of the curve a little bit. Maybe I was an interesting little motherfucker, and 
I, I read maybe three of them and I put it up. I was like, I can't do it. It's so bad. It's just so bad. The the girl in class doesn't like me and faux existential stuff when you don't know anything about how hard the world really is, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so <clears throat> I mostly was just playing guitar for people or playing bass or keys and usually in a touring capacity. And then that started to open up into sessions and that became its own thing too. The writing thing, I don't know. I started when I moved to Nashville. I'd been in bands and written for bands uh, in Birmingham. When I moved to Nashville, I joined my friend Bob Schneider. He has a, a songwriting group. It's a weekly group. And you get a prompt, like a lyric prompt. Like, And sometimes they're absurd. It'll be like, my bloody kneecap. It'll be something weird. And you have to write a song that week with that phrase in the song. And you, you send it all to the group. And no one wins or anything. It's just an exercise in getting better at writing. And I started playing guitar for Bob in 2011. And he sort of <clears throat> he sort of picked up on the fact that I was writing songs. And I guess he liked some of the stuff he heard. He invited me to his group. I mean, dude, this group is like Jason Mraz is in this group. Patty Griffin was in it. Ben Folds was in it. Wow. Like, wow. Like, a, like a lot of real serious songwriters. And, and yeah. Bob Schneider, my, my pal Bob, is probably the best songwriter I know, like that I know of as my friend. So I felt real grateful to be there, also real scared. And if you miss two weeks in a row of that group, you're out of the group. And because I felt like I deserved to be there the least, I just really, I mean, I've, I, I actually just coincidentally left the song game this week. So I've been in the song game for eight years, writing a song a week in that group, never missing two weeks, no matter if I was on a USO tour in Bahrain or flying to Vancouver or in a van or in a shitty hotel room. I just did all that work. And I'm sure as you can imagine, I got I, I developed my muscle for songwriting. So that was all just like my fun little dark, you know, little Elliot Smith songs. That sort of ended up parlaying into writing professionally in Nashville with other co writers who had publishing deals. And then that sort of gradually led to April of this year, I got my first publishing deal. So it's it's odd, still odd for me to admit that I actually am a professional songwriter, but that's kind of the that's a shortened version of how it happened. Yeah. I never really had a day where I was like, "Oh, I'm good at this. I'll do this now." <laughs> no, I haven't really done anything like that. Whether it was guitar playing or po even podcasting, I never felt like I'm good at this. I'll do this. It's just something I wanted to do, and I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm more willing to just hunker down and work hard and grind to get better than then I'm touched or charmed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like to just dig in and do the fucking work, dude. <laughs> so eight years of songs every week, that's hundreds of songs. Have you ever went back and listened to these? Yeah. Some of them, oh. I, some of them I still like. And the thing is they go so fast and I don't perform my songs. Like I don't go out to clubs or writing rounds and sing them. So once I write it and record it, I don't, I've never played it before. So I'll go back and I don't know how to play most of my songs. And if someone were like, hey, come do a set at, you know, at your favorite bar, come do like 10 of your songs, I would have to learn them. Um, so in that way, they're still fun to listen to because sometimes I'm like, how did I even get that? Set? Like if it's like a weird synthesizer, because those songs got really weird because like if you think about it this way, in the first year I was in that group, let's say I like wanted to write Ryan Adams was my songwriting hero. Well, you're going to write 50 songs that sound like Ryan Adams, and that's that gets super boring. So then the next year, 
well, I'm going to write some songs that sound like Tori Amos. They're going to be piano-driven, uh, long-winding ballads. And you, you write 25 of those. And you just start refining and refining to where you're going to write some just, – just so you're not so bored that you're going to kill yourself. You're going to write some far-out, like, Appalachian folk shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I still go back. Like, the, the body of work is so big that it's it, – yeah, it's pretty fun to go back and listen to some of that. Well, outside of that, are you constantly, like, while you're on, say you're on the road, are you constantly writing, like, in your mind? Or is it I something don't. you sit down and do? Yeah, well, so, right. So, like, my, you know, my main job is to play guitar. I play guitar for a country artist named Rodney Atkins. And so when I'm on the road, and I'm the, I'm the band leader and the musical director for them, so my responsibilities are to make sure the you know, the band's up to scruff, everyone's playing their parts right, that the band's taken care of if they have any problems with travel or, you know, getting paid, which we don't have problems like that. But so I'm kind of busy out there. And now sometimes me and the other dudes who are in Rodney's band, they're also writers. Sometimes we'll write in the afternoon. I write with Rodney's wife. Her name's Rose Falcon. We write out there sometimes, but I find that kind of exhausting. And, um, the touring we do, uh, and by the way, if I'm talking too much, just stop me because no. <laughs> just let me know. You're good, but, man. You're, you're good. good. Um, the touring we do, we're not like on an eight week tour. Like my rock and roll days were like that. These tours are the country touring is very uh, family oriented. So we're really on the bus just like Thursday through Sunday. So we're not really on a tour, but that means we're basically always like every week we go out. Yeah. So I'm home usually Monday through Thursday day. Usually we get on the bus at midnight Thursday night. So I, I have – and so my publisher, um, I write for a company called Rough Trade Publishing. They either set me up or I set up my own rights. So I have rights already booked, usually Monday through Thursday. So I know that that time is coming and when I'm out gigging, you know, it's not like a muse. One of the things the song game really kind of beat out of you is this idea of like waiting for a muse or, you know – it's more like assignment writing. It's more like treating it like a craft, treating it like a job. And so in some ways it's different than what I thought it might be like as a kid. In other ways, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you really want to do this for the long haul in terms of what I'm doing, which is trying to write commercially for country artists or for film and TV, then it, you have to really treat it more like a craft. So I have days that are already allotted for it. So I don't spend a lot of time chasing a muse or, you know, writing po dark poetry in my mind or anything. Yeah. Well, how's that work when you have a right with an artist? Are they there? Do they give you their input on what they want you to do? Is it one of those type of situations? Yeah. So, it's, so I'll give you an example for today. So today the, uh, I wrote with two girls. One of them is an artist. Her name is Sarah Stearman. She just signed, she's a younger artist, like a pop chick. She just signed her first record deal. I wrote with her and my friend Annie Wilgen, who I've been writing with for several years. And so Sarah's making her debut record uh, next year. So we're writing for her record. So she came in today and she played a Halsey song, which I'd never heard of Halsey. She played some boy band song. The song was called Choose. I can't remember what the um, band was called. So she kind of gave us like some ideas about the sound. Because my role, I'm also producing the right, which means I'm sitting here at my studio with my computer and all my gear and as we're all writing the song together, I'm building the track. The, it's essentially a demo, but it, demos these days are so competitive. I mean, they sound, they're pretty produced for demos. 
So I've kind of got my back to them. I'm listening. I'm helping with lyrics. We call that a top line. The melody and the lyrics called a top line. So they're doing top line writing. I'm building a track, putting drums, synthesizers, writing the music essentially. And uh, <clears throat> it was fun. She, dude, you guys will get a kick out of this. So Sarah, she's like, yeah, my um, her record label guy, she's like, his name's Pete, I guess. She's like, he wants me to write something like really epic and operatic like Bohemian Rhapsody. And I'm sitting here going, oh, no, no big deal. Just <laughs> write your version of the greatest song ever. Yeah. But yeah. these two girls who were in their mid-20s had never heard Bohemian Rhapsody. Good Lord. <laughs> So I'm like, all right, ladies, like, and I was like, I know that the attention span of kids these days doesn't exist. I was like, but we're going to listen, we're going to be quiet and we're going to listen to all six and a half minutes of this goddamn song. If that's what we're reaching for today, you know? Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff, you know, like you, you have some goals you try to hit. Obviously we didn't write Bohemian Rhapsody part two, but <laughs> usually an artist will have a vision and you know, it's my job as a writer and as a producer to help them achieve it, you know, to get them to the finish line. And what I try to do is get the song written, get a good vocal, and then they get the hell out of here. And then I kind of mad scientist the track, put a bunch of candy on it, make it sound good after my wife and kid go to sleep. And my next write usually isn't until 11 a.m. I'm up at 7.30 with my, my daughter, my four-year-old, and I usually spend the morning before my next write finishing the track. That's kind of my workflow. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, if if you did have a band, how would it sound? What would it be like? I don't know. I think I'd be a lot like my friend Bob, who he makes a lot of different kinds of records. Yeah. Um, I'm not in any danger of making a jazz record or anything like that, but <laughs> dude, I've got so many, I mean, I've got enough songs to make a rock and roll record. I've got enough songs to make a dance record, enough songs to make a lot of sad bastard stuff. I've got a metal project called Lunar Satan. That's about Satan in space. Yes. That sounds a lot like <laughs> new wave of British heavy metal. Um, I've been listening to this little peep record a lot. This like weird junkie kid that made this like Drake sounding kind of hip hop, um, pop music. And I've been really liking the idea of writing like 10 of those songs. It's just, dude, it's crazy. I mean, I write so much shit. I could really do any kind of band. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying I would be good at it or it would be as good as anything, but I'm just saying the muscle was there to do a lot of different kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, when you and uh, Ethan decided to do metal for your podcast, like, how long, I mean, how long were you guys kicking this idea around before you jumped into it? It was, it was about six months and it was his idea and I didn't really want to do it. Um, just because I, I'd never done a podcast before. I didn't really know how to do it. And I was worried about, I mean, if I want to do something, I just want it to be good, you know, and I didn't know if I could make that good. You know, if I take on a project of, of producing an artist or writing a song or if I take a gig, someone calls me to play guitar, if I know I can kill it, I take it, you know. And with Ethan, he would he has his own other um, podcast called The Pirate Satellite where he interviews artists and photographers. And I just and he's he's a well-known, well-liked dude in, in our music communities here in Nashville. He's done a lot of great work over the years that people really love. I'd only met him a few months before. But like, you know, the, our, the, the impetus of our friendship was Metallica. So he, I was the guy he thought of. We didn't really know each other that well. Yeah. And he'd, he'd kicked it around and he kind of, I kind of begged off and he, he convinced me to. And we, 
we got a drink one night and kind of laid out what it might look like. And I started to get excited. It kind of started to make sense, you know? And that was two years ago. Yeah. It's, it's weird how quickly time has gone by with that. And I feel like the show is so different than what we started as. Yeah. I, I, I had binged probably the first 70 or 80 and then, you know, I, you know, I, I stay pretty current and it's, you know, it's almost like you're, you guys are your own. Uh, I think, you know, you've said this before on the podcast, you know, your own community, you know, you've got, you know, your fans now and you've got, you know, the voices and the sketches and the segments. And right. it's cool to see that evolution over the, the couple of years. It's fun because it's like almost a way I'm sure you guys deal with it, too, but it's almost a way to just keep each other interested. You know, like yeah. someone wrote in this week, they were like, I've listened to I listened to every episode and he kind of counted it out and laid it out. He was like, it's over 200 hours of, and I thought, Oh my God. Like, I mean, I love Metallica so much, dudes. I really do. They're my favorite metal band. I, I, I'm looking around my studio right now and it's filled with Metallica shit. I, I don't know how my wife lets me do this, but <laughs> if I, if you had told me like to talk that much about Metallica, I, I don't know if I could do it. So those, all the things that evolve with the show, like interactions with the fans and inside jokes and shit we got wrong that turned into like endearing, endearing and enduring jokes of the show, that's kind of part of what keeps me excited about it, yeah. honestly. So sometimes we have people write in that don't like it when we talk, when we do the Dave Mustaine voice or do the Joyces or someone doesn't like almost, there's someone out there who doesn't like almost everything we do. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's at least something. And it's just hard. It's hard to pay attention to that because in some ways I feel responsible to them and they're the ones who we make the show for. But on the other hand, I think you have to keep yourself inspired and to, to do the work because as you guys know, making a, a quality podcast is not easy. It just isn't easy. Yeah, it's it's not time consuming. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you guys get all sorts of crazy guests. I mean, I don't I don't you know, I don't know how you do it. I'm envious of all that. Uh, I I don't know either. Trent always just has a knack for it. I don't know. So Trent, you're the you're the end man for that. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. How'd you guys land Gene Simmons? Well, we've got a, a contact locally that's a promoter that was on our show. We had her on as a guest talking about you know some stuff she was doing at the Rocklahoma Festival, and mm -hmm. she was promoting a show about two hours away from us that Gene Simmons was headlining. So I just hit her up, and she made it happen that easy wow <laughs> sounds easy i guess yeah we you know we reach out to a lot of people and they just don't get back to us i was telling uh, yeah. somebody about this but the the elevator speech <laughs> for a podcast is so difficult because no you if you say the sentence hey i have this podcast no one wants to hear what the rest of that sentence is right even if yeah. it's good yeah. even if it's a good show it's just you know i don't exactly. think it's exactly. hard to sell that it's hard to sell it and be like, we're no, we're not like two nerds in a basement. Although we kind of are that, but no, it really is legitimate. Like we're, we're not just going to germ out on you, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, talk about, I mean, because this, you know, this is kind of, you know, we can, you know, uh, bounce ideas off each other. But when you started, I mean, were you, were you guys a hundred percent confident in your Metallica knowledge when you started or did you just jump into it? Ooh, I, I think because I, uh, yeah, I, I like what you guys used to say about we know nothing and we know everything, and that was just so awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, dude, it's like it, it, we wanted to just be like talking to your buds, okay? And when you're talking to your buds, this happens on the bus every day that I'm on the bus with my friends who are all super smart. You're talking about some subject and someone says something and you go, nah, that's not it. That's not true. <laughs> There's just part of being with your friends is disagreeing and getting shit wrong. And so there, that air is definitely on the there's an air of that in the show that I think people connected with. Like we've made some big boo-boos early on. I think we're less likely to make those errors now, but not because we're better fans only because to do the show, we literally have been researching Metallica every day for two years. Yeah. So a certain level of expertise comes with that. Like I've read all the books, watched every fucking video. You know what I mean? I've read the, I've read Mick Wall's book like three times now. Wow. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm an expert. I'll, I'll get something wrong next week, but I'm, but I'm less likely to than I was. Cause when we first jumped in, my feeling was, man, I'm a diehard fan. I was a, I was a fan all the way through up St. Anger, got off the ride, got back on a death magnetic. And I knew enough to start the show, but I, yeah. but I knew that it would be, uh, it'd be more learning than expositing. And that, and it has been that. And we learned so much from our listeners and, it's been super rewarding and cool. There, there's occasionally the people who want to prove that they know more than us, which I find extremely boring. <laughs> uh, you know, like someone will, people try to like challenge us sometimes. And I just find that boring because the point isn't we're bigger fans than you. I don't give a shit. You can be the biggest metallic fan in the world. That's just not the point to me. The point is celebrating the band, the music, the power of the music in your life. You know, like, I'm one of these, you know, I'm one of these kind of pathetic people out there that like the music of Metallica has really saved my life, especially uh, the load reload era when I was in high school, going through a bunch of shit with my family and in school and headed for trouble. And those records really were like my friends when I did when I felt really friendless. So I'm more interested in talking about that than the than winning a trivia contest yeah, yeah than getting the, the color of his guitar th that he played in 1988 and yeah know. and you guys know i mean like that's a band that's you know they're they're on their 35th they're 35 years plus yeah there's so much information it, you're talking gear you're talking record producers photographers they, they're on their third bass player uh haircuts and mustaches and <laughs> fashion and all that stuff you know yeah, and I, I I let a lot of that go. I, I let the need to be correct about all that go. So, you know, that's kind of where I sit with that. Well, obviously, there's tons of topics. You know, you guys can revisit topics, but like, how far and how far out are you guys like planning wise? Or we used to be a lot more. We used to be a lot more um, fastidious about that. But we see we have these series now that that pad. And it's not, I hate to say the word pad because it's not padding. So we're doing these like listening commentaries where, you know, we've reviewed all the records, but now we're, we're doing this, these episodes where we listen to the records together and re respond to them. And people, our fans love that. And, uh, we've started this thing called metal tales from the road. And what it started as was, um, which Jason, I believe you're doing the Tulsa show, right? Yes, sir. Sure. Am. So maybe for your listeners who aren't familiar. So Metallica's current tour, they're currently well, they're about to wrap it up, but they've been touring for the last several months uh, arenas in North America, in the States. So we've our patrons, we're letting them call into the show, whatever show they go to, they sign up, and they basically recap the show for us. And it's cool. It's more than that. We get to hear their whole story. 
when they came online with the band, what their favorite stuff is, how they feel about St. Anger. It's just a fun interaction with the fans. We've opened the Metal Tales up to any past show. So if you went to one of the Orion festivals or you went to Woodstock 99 or you saw them with Cliff at the fucking at the channel in Boston in 84, we're going to start having all those conversations. And we've got a huge list already. So we've got that. We've got Metal Up Your Podcast Radio, which is a, it's mostly me. Ethan doesn't really do these, but it's basically like an hour long radio show, which is just an exploration of all kinds of music. We've got the. Uh, year in the life series where we basically analyze every year of the band and we're up to 1993 i think so we're going to go all the way through 20 we already did 2017 so we've got a lot of guests lined up i mean i thought it was going to be a three-year project and now it's looking real likely that we're going to roll into a fourth year for sure which makes me happy i'm glad it's cool when it needs to end it'll end and for now it's we've got plenty to do and I was, I still, I still enjoy it, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I was, I was going to say. I mean, are you okay with a fourth year? Is it something you want to keep? You know. Uh I, I don't think I was okay with it about six months ago. I yeah. Think six months ago, we were at our what I considered our halfway mark, and I was, I was a okay with that. <laughs> um, but in the last six months, um, we've just worked out some of our we've we've kind of found more of a balance of responsibilities Ethan and I and uh I just I'm kind of a control freak dude it's my own fault Ethan Ethan is so much more easygoing than me so you know I write all the jingles I came up with all the segments I respond to pretty much every email uh I do all the social media um and I've started editing the shows too occasionally and so that was just taking a toll and it was this is drama free I mean it wasn't like a um it wasn't like a big sit down. It was just, I, it was really me. It was me taking too much ownership. You know, Ethan's like, dude, I'm willing to help. Just, I was kind of just running with it, you know? Yeah. So through talking with my wife and my friends and Ethan, we kind of just found a more, more of a balance. So I'm more excited now than I was. I have more energy for it now. Do I sound like a bitchy, petulant podcast guy? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. I, I relate to all this, dude. It's, it's great. <laughs> Do you guys have a pretty good delineation of, of responsibilities with your show? No, mm-hmm. no, it's, it's, it's a lot like, you know, Trent is, uh, you know, he, he, he gets the guests and he edits it and puts it all together. And, you know, I just kind of come up with some questions and, you know, maybe tell a dick joke here or there. <laughs> hey, but, man, know, he does let's not, let's not underestimate that work. Yeah. He, yeah. And yeah, I, I do some, I do, you know, the social media stuff's pretty equal. So, um, mm. but he, he's way more, uh, you know, into the way more technical than me. So, and, and he likes doing it. So, you know, we're, we're pretty comfortable with how it works. So, you know, and that, that's, that keeps it interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have weeks like this, but there are some weeks where I say to Ethan, dude, I got to lean on you for this one because I'm flying from whatever and I need you to do the research. Or he'll he'll tell me, you know, we did a whole like six weeks where he was touring in Europe. And so, he, you know, our hours were so crazy. He'd be in like Romania <laughs> with the shittiest Wi-Fi in, on the known planet and he would have to lean on me, you know, to to get to get the show to the finish line. And to me, it's just really important that we're consistent. And if if we're gonna miss a week, or if we're going to uh, 
if something's going to be wrong with the quality of the show or whatever, that we're real honest about it, real transparent. Because I think what our fans like is this the consistency, you know? It may be a record they don't care for as much. They may be kind of tired of hearing me bitch about Dave Mustaine or something. But they know every Monday there's a solid hour of Metallica talk coming down the pipe, you know? Yeah. And that, that's what I look for in my favorite podcast, you know? It's like that consistency, even if it's not every week that I'm completely titillated by the content, you know? Exactly. Because, well, you know, Monday, you know, we, we get a new episode Monday, so after that, I always want to listen to Metallica the rest of the day. <laughs> so it, it just makes it all the better, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I you know, I have that. I follow a um, – I'm a big Dave Matthews Band fan, and I follow a podcast called Ants, uh, Ants Podcast. And I follow a, a Pearl Jam podcast called Single Podcast Theory. And I feel the same way. Like, whatever they're talking about, I almost can't even finish the episode. I want to go hear the record or the song. Or That's a that's a net positive of this kind of work, you know. Exactly. And I'm sure with you guys, too, a, a music, a hard music-related podcast, if you're getting people excited about the fucking music, you're doing your job. It's not about you. It's not about your the fucking dream you had last. They tell you what's worse than the sentence of, I, I have this podcast. I had this craziest dream last night. <laughs> the only other one in contention for worst beginning to a sentence is I wrote this poem. <laughs> no, I got one for you. It's uh, my fantasy football team. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. see, like no I'd one gives a shit about I, your team. <laughs> well, it, the, that is, an, uh, that is super fascinating to me because it's a fantasy football team. It's <laughs> yeah. The concept for me, and I don't look down on it at all. I don't, I don't give a shit. Whatever you do to have fun. But I know so little about that that if someone wanted to tell me about that, I might actually be more interested than if they said, do you mind if I read you this poem? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I do not want to hear that poem. <laughs> and when people try to remember their dreams, they can't even fucking remember them. So it's always like, oh, dude, it was crazy. I was like on this baseball field. And it, I was on Mars. Oh, wait, it wasn't a baseball field. It was a basketball court. And your dad was – wait, it wasn't your dad. It was my <laughs> Uncle Tony. It's like, dude, you can't even remember this fucking boring dream. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm never telling anyone about my dreams ever again. <laughs> my wife always says that. She's like, Jesus, you're so mean about dreams. She's like, what if I really have a dream I want to tell you about? It's like, no, dude, you can tell me about your dream. <laughs> I'm polite. I'm politer than I sound. I'll, I'll listen to your dream. There you go. <laughs> Well, having no experience with podcasting prior to that, once this ends, is it something you think you would do another one down the line? I don't know, dude. It just depends on what's going on. You know, we I got a four year old and uh, married, and the touring and the writing, um, producing. Uh, it really is still just kind of like a hobby that I do in my spare time. We do have, um, we do have a lot of, uh, well, not a lot. We have like a. Um, we have a respectable patrons support community that is making it more viable, more easy to think about doing more podcasting. And Ethan and I've talked about branching out and talking about music. And the thing is we like so much different kind of music than hard music that I think a lot of our listeners would bail, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, and I don't, I don't know if I can do what you guys do and like, just talk about, you know, I don't know. It's a really good question. I really don't know. I'm not getting rich doing it. I'll tell you that. So right. there's not yeah. really a huge financial um, 
uh, uh, excuse to do it. We we spend most of our patron money on gifts for our patrons, on mm-hmm. box sets that we give away and T-shirts, and you know we throw in this party in January that you know that costs costs money to throw a party as big as it's going to be. So we we're kind of get putting all that just back into the show. Yeah. Well, well, you know, you mentioned something, something, and you know, I had this thought when you know we knew we were going to do this, or really when you know this podcast started, um, that you guys usually, you know, like you said, you know, we're we're hard rock, we're metalheads. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the fact that you guys are so diverse, and I think it makes, I think it's why it makes Metal Up Your Podcast um, unique, and I think it's why it makes it one of the best ones, the best metallic podcasts. Because you know you're you're you're, take, you're looking at it from a different, from a little bit smarter of a, a I don't know if smarter. I don't want to put down metalheads because I'm a metalhead, but I mean you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, I. It, it's just a, a, a way more well-rounded, I think. Yeah, I think that I think it's a rap that metalheads get that's not tr- really fair to them. I, I think that's more of a hallmark of metalheads maybe in the 80s yeah. i think the 90s changed a lot of that i think metallica is a big reason why i think the black album and the load and reload era changed a lot of that changed a lot of the identity politics of liking hard music yeah. and you know it wasn't just it's no longer just the domain of angry white kids you know and uh you know, I think you, you got Lars Ulrich. He's talking about how he hired the guys to mix Justice because they're the guys who did the the whatever Madonna record came out that year. Yeah. I mean, that's my hero right there. I mean, a dude who's unafraid to say that. And uh, I mean, they were just posting pictures just today of them with this Post Malone guy, this pop cat. I saw that was, video. Like, yeah, it's cool. Like, I guess he's a fan and he came out to their show in Fresno or Sacramento. And, uh, you know... In a lot of ways, it was people like Metallica that inspired me to have a more broad, eclectic view of music, particularly those 90s records. You know, I, I'm kind of known as a load reload nerd over there. And, uh, you know, true to form, I mean, that really is my that's my shit big yeah. time. You know, but I appreciate that you notice that. And I think a lot of people are responding to that about the show, too, you know, and it's not all not heavy. Like I'll play a Tori Amos song, but I'll also talk about Ghost and. I'll, you know, I love Pantera and Ethan's a big Anthrax and Megadeth guy. And we can talk Alice in Chains and Sepultura and Sabbath and Maiden. We, there's a, there's a vocabulary there, but it's not just that, you know, yeah. and I, I wouldn't be interested if we didn't have that element. If, if Ethan wasn't a badass reggae musician, <laughs> I'd be less interested in him. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. He fucking blows me away with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. His, his album's really good. It's really great. I would say to any of you out there, if you're like, if you've heard some Bob Marley and you, reggae is just not your thing, it's such a good like gateway reggae record because it, it's got great guitars and drums on it. It goes down real easy, and you don't feel like you're in Jamaica. You, you it's it feels modern and cool. Exactly. I don't know how to describe it, but we we're blasting it over at our house. We love it. My yeah. kid loves it. <laughs> well, well, uh, you mentioned the Black Album earlier. It, you know, if they keep going on with these remastered box sets, what what would you want to see in the Black Album? I don't know because that's really when they that's when they really started documenting the shit out of their lives. I mean that that year and a half of the life of Metallica doc that came out yeah. about that record and tour. It's a pretty vivid window into all that. 
I don't think the record needs to be remastered. I think it sounds great. I think we're, I think we're reaching the threshold now with Justice where remastering it <clears throat> isn't going to move the needle for me. True, yeah, um, get that. But in terms of bonus content, I mean, you know, if we're basing it off what we already get, we're going to get handwritten lyrics. We're going to get interviews that were prob that are previously unavailable unless you were heard them on the radio in 1991. Probably going to get some unreleased shows that we've never seen before. Um. I think they're going to pull out some stop some punches for it because obviously it's their their most popular record, probably next to uh, Justice or Puppets. But there's, there's no doubt that's their highest selling record. I think they're going to do something special. Yeah, I'll, I, I'm cool with whatever, man. I, you know, I, I don't really gravitate towards bonus content that way. I don't own any of the box sets. I think they're cool. We get to look through them because we give them away and we do reviews of them and stuff, but. I just want the record on vinyl. That's you know, and I've already got it. So yeah, I get that. I'm not really their demographic for those. <laughs> but it's just another excuse to get excited about the record again. And I think, I think what the real heart of them, because you know, people are calling them cash grabs and shit. Some guy called just the other day on one of our fucking YouTube videos said they re they didn't remix it with bass it's just a remaster you guys are suckers for buying that and i'm like you do know it comes with more than just the fucking remastered vinyl like exactly. <laughs> these box sets come with so much shit dudes yeah like it, the, for people who are interested it, it, we're lucky as fans that metallica puts that much tlc because i'll tell you this dave matthews isn't doing it and i know that people make fun of him or whatever but i'm being sincere i'm a huge fan and it's the 20th anniversary of my favorite record before these crowded streets and we didn't get shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, and, and that's a record that came out in 98, which means they weren't making vinyl. So that record's unavailable on vinyl. Wow. They won't even just re-release it on vinyl. They won't reissue it. That's insane. You gotta yeah. wait till 2028. I guess. <laughs> but yeah, now the that they're rolling out these, but now they're rolling out these Metallica box sets, like how exciting we're going to be excited for the next 10 years, dude. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're going to keep, yeah, it's it's a great way to just keep it up. And yeah, they're making money and they're generating interest, but every fucking band does that. I hate it when people criticize like Kiss for trying to make money. No one's giving their shit away for free. Yeah, exactly. You know? If you got the product, yeah, sell it. Well, if there, it's just supply and demand, dude. It's it's amoral. It's in, it's not personal. It's not It's not... Yeah, if you if people want, it's like people, you know, Metallica for the for your listeners who may not be following them right now, they're doing these um, what they're calling a hardwired experience. So it's a VIP experience where you can meet the band and you get rail access and a lithograph. You get you get access to a bunch of stuff, but essentially you're paying it's twenty five hundred bucks, and you get to basically meet the band, including James Hetfield. And some people are real bummed about that. Uh, now I can't afford it. I'm not paying that much. I wouldn't pay that much to meet Paul McCartney. Yeah, but I have no problem with them doing it or anyone buying it. I think it's cool. Yeah, if someone has the money, go for it. I think it's great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, they used to do the you know the free thing for the Met Club members, and Jason's got a good story about that. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> well, um, let's hear it. I, I was, uh, this is, oh, it was during the St. Anger album cycle. I'd won, <coughs> yeah, I'd won meet and greet passes for Wichita, which is probably about, I don't know, two hours away, three hours away from here. 
And I was, uh, you know, I had I had a bit of a DUI problem in my twenties. I'm not gonna lie. A what problem? A DUI problem in my twenties. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) And I did not have a license for a year. Okay. And so uh, Trent offered to drive, and we got lost Uh, because you know back then you didn't have GPS. Oh, yeah. The days of getting lost. I remember them. You just had to, you know, you had MapQuest and you could print off and it was real rough directions. Mm-hmm. And we got lost and I was about 10 minutes late and they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me uh, slip into it. I, I and this, was, and I this is when denied. James was still doing them? Huh? And this is when James was still participating yeah, in them? In the mean- in, back in 04. Woo! Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was just, that, that was my one. It was literally like five or 10 minutes late. And, it's a sad uh, yeah. story. And they, uh, I've entered. I've entered countless times since then, and still haven't won. But I'm. I'm oh man. One day. <laughs> so, so you're ten minutes late, and they're saying, "Sorry, the doors are closed. Everyone who's going to be in is already in. It's over." Yeah, I went. I went to the 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 you know the point that I was supposed to the meeting point, and they said, "No, too late. Hmm. They've already left." And wow. I was, I was pretty bummed, man. Pretty bummed. <laughs> so, how long have you guys been friends? Since like second grade. Yeah, like 30. wow. Six thirty-seven or whatever. What are we like forty-two now? So yeah, we've been friends for like thirty years. That I mean, I'm sure it's not lost in either of you. I don't. I don't think I have any friends that I've been friends with that long. That is a really cool, special thing, dude. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's great. There's there's three or four of us that we've we've known each other since about kindergarten. Wow, that's and, uh, awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I value it because you know you don't see that all the time. Hell no, and, that, and I, I'm thirty metalheads, so that that works out. Well, I, I imagine the, the music kept you guys together for much of that, too. Yes, you know? yes, it did. Yeah. So let me hear kind of your origin story. So who, so you're both friends in second grade. Who got into Metallica first? <coughs> he did. That, that would be me. Uh, we had a, a kid down the street that, you know, we, we kind of both started out listening to glam metal in our hair bands, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, a kid down the street from me said, hey, you got to come over and listen to this. And I went over and listened to it. It was Injustice for All. And it was one. And that was the first Metallica song I heard. And that was that was like the next level, right? Other, you know, from listening to Slaughter and Poison and Warrant. Oh, I bet. Yeah. It was like a whole. Absolutely. Yeah. It just blew it all open, you know? Right. And so from then on, it was just, I mean, and ever since they've been my number one band. And even when everyone said they sold out, load, reload, it didn't matter. They were. The number one band for me always have been. I, I imagine so many of the dudes in like those bit, like the Slaughters, the Warrants, etc. I imagine them all together for some reason in my mind's eye, surrounded like surrounding a TV, watching the video for one, going, "Oh fuck, <laughs> yeah. our silly bullshit is way over." <laughs> exactly, like, it's, exactly. It's what they thought when they heard "Appetite for Destruction" too. They just thought, "Oh crap, yep, it's it's over." <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, when uh, when Welcome to the Jungle hit, they probably always shit. Yeah, totally. Because that you talk about blowing shit wide open. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, totally. Ap- appetites up there with you know how important one. W- you know, it, it, in my studies in my, uh, jer- my you know journey through the podcast, I think I knew as a kid, even though I was kind of more of a Black Album guy in terms of my you know the first thing I saw was Inner Sandman, not one, but. It really amazes me how impactful the song one and the video for one really were for the band, for metal, for yeah. music in general. I mean, that song is just 
so massive for them. It it brought so many people to the party. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you think, um, well, it's kind of like uh, you guys are going over um, this whole box set, you know, and they're talking about the one video, and it makes me think back to when I was that age, and it was all makeup and spandex and hair and chicks. Right. Until that hit, and it was just like, holy shit. And it, it just... It just kept seeping up and seeping up until they were, you know, they were laying all those guys to waste. It's funny to think about, like, the Kiss record of that time is a record called Hot in the Shade. Yeah. And uh, it's one of the sillier ones. I love it. But are you guys, are you guys Kiss fans? Yes. yes okay. Sure so are. you're, you, 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 do you know, you know what Hot in the Shade is, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So I don't, okay. So you're my people. I don't yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the dude who just knows like Destroyer and Love Gun, he's not going to understand any of this hot in the shade talk. But, oh no, we, you know, we got you, we got you. Don't worry. The rise to it and the boomerang. Oh and yeah. The, you know, um, what was it like the the Sphinx or whatever was on the cover? Yeah, right. the Egyptian thing. Dude, the rise to it video was so fucking corny. <laughs> They're like dude. grabbing each other's faces and shit. <laughs> but I fucking love that song. I don't care. I, I, dude. I blast, dude. It's one of my things that I do when I on a rare night that I go out in town. If there's a fucking jukebox, I go load it up with like twenty five dollars worth of eighties Kiss only, <laughs> just eighties Kiss, like nothing anyone re- like. All hell's breaking loose, and you know, uh, uh, fits like a glove, like all the lick it up stuff. It's one of my favorite little jokes with myself. No one thinks it's funny, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Rise to it's always on the list, and read my body is always on the list. Yes, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, if I got to make Kiss's set list, it would be all '80s music and then Revenge in its entirety. Okay, yeah, I, I, I can. I already immediately know what kind of Kiss fan you are. <laughs> um, my friend Phil, who he actually plays with Gene now. Uh, He's the dude who played for Rodney Atkins before I did. He he left Rodney and I came and started playing for Rodney. And now he plays for Gene and Ace. And he's a massive Kiss freak. And he's way way into the '80s stuff. Like he you know he know he knows all the '70s shit too. I mean, and that's kind of where the the cream is for me. But I love the the um, the Revenge guys. I'm one of them. I love Revenge. Oh yeah, that's a great record, man. Oh, I God. love Domino and and uh, every time I see your face and I love they were all wearing the leather and playing clubs but they kind of had that i've heard someone say before that like that's like the last real kiss record i i, I see how people i get yeah yeah it was before the reunion and all that kind of stuff yeah like they were like a real band like making yeah. real you know it wasn't like nostalgia or, or harping on love gun or exactly yeah. although i i like all their i like dude i loved monster i thought monster was cool yeah i i yeah Sonic Boom and Monster. I don't. I don't know that Trent really. I mean, I thought those were great records. There they rock and they on, sound good. There are hooks on both those records. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Are you guys going to go see the uh, End of the Road tour? Uh, I don't know. So they, see, they came here to the joint at the Hard Rock, which is a small venue. And Trent, you went to see it. Yeah. I went. So you're probably good on that. Yeah, I figured. You know, because they were flipping back and forth between casinos and arenas. Yeah, and I'd always just seen him in the arena setting, so I figured. Talking about on the uh, Freedom to Rock tour. Yeah, was this what was last year? Was that last year or the year before? Yeah, or t- yeah, twenty sixteen, I think. Okay. Well, it was like last. I think it was last spring. So how was how was the gig? Was it okay? Oh, it was great. I mean, it was like scaled down a little bit because you know it was in a twenty five hundred seat theater, but yeah, 
just to see him, you know, in that setting, I think was a good way to end it for me. Unless I yeah. get a chance to get cheap tickets or something, or they yeah. say Ace Frehley and Bruce Kulik are playing with him, then I'll go. <laughs> Man, you know, Bruce in many ways is probably the most well-rounded out of all the guitar players. Oh, I, I'm a huge Bruce fan. He, he uh, He's tasteful, and he can still have that kind of shred. Um, super clean. Like, attitude, real, yeah, if he has really to. Really yeah, technically interesting. Yeah, he did have some good attitude. Maybe not like... He was always he always looked real nice. He's such a nice dude. But no <laughs> doubt about it, the playing, he fucking rips, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's been a lot I know we're not talking about Metallica much, but uh, all this okay. Vin, all this Vinnie Vincent shit going on has been real fascinating to watch. That's weird. What do you make of that? Well, which part and which part are you specifically talking God, about? God, no shit. I mean, <laughs> there's so there's a couple different weird things going on. Well, so I guess the most recent thing is he he booked these shows that were supposed to be this month, and then he canceled them and rescheduled them for February. And people are cons- people, well. First of all, people bought tickets and bought hotel rooms, yeah. and they're out of that. So people are upset. And you know, he's got this history where he had this box set in the '80s that a lot of people <laughs> sent in money for, and he never sent them to them. The, the, the Vinnie Vincent Explosion box sets that he promised people. So, and then he's been, you know, and then he disappeared for like 25 years Yeah, and, and he lives in Nashville wow. and then he's come back out and he went, he went and did a kiss convention. He went to Gene's vault experience. He played a couple of songs acoustic. And then the other night he showed up at some club playing in the Ankh makeup. Oh yeah. I, I saw that. Yeah. That's... But, 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 but everyone was saying like he didn't rip, like he just played like chords. Everyone's like, Oh, can he, he can't play anymore. And that's why he's canceling the shows. So it's just a weird thing, dude. It, he was supposed to do that Rock and Pod Expo that uh, our friends at Decibel Geek put on. Right. Yeah. And then and then he like backed out of that, and I don't know. I was never a big Vinny cat, so I I kind of view it all from from afar a little bit with with just you know um, interest. It's mysterious to me. Yes, one of the the kiss oddities for sure. But I know a lot of people. That's like "Lick It Up" is their record, and Vinny's their dude. Yeah. So I'm sure it's very <laughs> painful and embarrassing for all of them. Well, well, what I mean, what do you? I mean, I know this is probably kind of an old question by now, but I mean, mm-hmm. what do you feel about you know Tommy and Eric in the you know in the Peter and Ace makeup? I mean, I I have no problem with it. Like okay. it makes sense. I understand it. Now there's no doubt that there's the magic is simply not there without those two rap scallions ace and peter were the magic yeah now they were super fucked up made a lot of horrible decisions and if you go read their books they come off like total fucking scumbags (laughs) they do not seem very likable in those books at least and of course you know you can't make up a whole character of somebody by reading their dumb tell-all or whatever Especially yeah. Peter's. Peter's is is particularly rough, but um, but there's no doubt about it that they, they were the magic. They, they, you know, they were loose. They were unpredictable. Um, and Peter especially had such an unconventional, swinging playing style that really wasn't steeped in classic rock and roll. And that's what gave those early records just just the moxie dude and yeah. of course ace fairly swagger so anyway I, I can't say enough about the original four i love the original four they're my homies that's where all the magic is but you know they're fuck-ups and 
And when Kiss was trying to make another go for it after the reunion, I mean, even before that, dude, I mean, Ace and Peter getting towards into Dynasty. I mean, Peter didn't even play on Dynasty yeah. or Unmasked. Anton Fig did. And you got, you know, uh, there's Ghost playing on Ace's stuff on The Elder. And the, Paul and Gene are pragmatists, dude. They're businessmen. And they needed to get that, the, they needed to maintain the ship. So I totally get why they had to get other people. Now, of course, to your the point, the crux of your question is Tommy and Eric. Okay, no problem, but they're wearing the Catman and the Spaceman makeup, and it's sacrilege and all this. I don't know, dude, because the 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 word really is that most people, all of us diehards, care about that question, but most people don't even know that it's not Ace Freely, dude. Right, and that's what the, Paul and Gene are banking on. Yeah. And and they, their idea is that those characters are bigger than the people, and they're even saying themselves that they'll be replaced. And I think I believe them. <laughs> I think that's yeah. true. I don't think they're I don't think they're whoring out the other two's makeup and, and cherishing their own. I think they'll whore theirs out too. So in that way, it's at least consistent. They, they could be auditioning players as we speak. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't they? I mean, Paul Paul's voice is pretty much shot. It's kind of you know, and you know they're going on the end of the road tour. Yeah, you think yeah. they're going to. You think if Kiss 2.0 can't go out and play some theaters, they're not going to do that? They're going to do that. Yeah. I feel bad for Tommy and Eric because they they get shit on so much. And, you know, Eric has been – Eric was a legitimate band member. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Not that Tommy's not. But you know what I mean? Like Eric did Revenge. So to me that he he has legitimacy. He was really in the band. And for him to go away while they did all the reunion shit and come back, that had to have been horrible. At least Bruce Bruce said he wasn't going to pull that shit. Yeah. Yeah, After definitely. they did Carnival Souls, I think Bruce was like, "Look, I'm out. <laughs> I'm not wearing the fucking makeup." What do you guys think? You guys, where do you guys stand on that? Does it does it bum you out? It doesn't me at all. I mean, I I listened to you know Gene Simmons. I think it was on Jericho's podcast, and he kind of talked about that. He said people know these four images, mm-hmm. so why would we put you know two new images out there to confuse right. people? You know, because yeah. the general public doesn't follow us the way any of us do. I can see the argument of like having them all come out with no makeup at all. Like, Oh yeah, I'd be down with that because it sounds like you guys are definitely on this train with me. I think the music is good. I think those dudes wrote great songs. Yeah. And they never, you know, I don't think they need the makeup. And so the record I always tell people to listen to when they're like, when they find out I'm a kiss diehard and they, it's like, all right, go listen to their unplugged record. Yeah. Because they're firing on all cylinders musically. There's no bullshit. It's just the great songs. Yeah, that is a great record, and Paul it, sings his fucking ass off on that record. Yeah, it, it, and it's like it's like um, a, you know, people don't really buy a lot of new music from these older acts. Yeah. So why would they new music, new makeup, all that kind of thing? It it, it might have backfired if they did that. There's a sense to when they talk about that that does make me sad. Like you know, Paul's like, I'm not interested in writing new music because no one's going to buy it. Yeah. And the only thing that rubs me about that is like. As a songwriter myself, there are, I believe, you know, emotional and spiritual reasons to write songs. And I don't mean any kind of Christian sounding stuff. I'm an atheist, but I mean spiritual in like a different sense. Like, yeah. it bothers me that he doesn't have a thing in him that has to write songs, despite the, um, despite how non lucrative it is. It's like I, I consider Paul a, a songwriter. And he wrote some of my favorite songs, and he obviously had that drive. He obviously has that, you know, um, 
illness almost that you have to have to be a, a songwriter. And so when he talks about it so clinically like that, it, it bums me out. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, you, you know, know, it's a therapeutic thing. Yeah, you know, like he's a songwriter. He's got to get the. He's got to get it out, dude. He's got a fucking message. He's got something to say, and that's how he says shit to the world. Is he writes songs, and so to hear him be like, "Well, no one's buying it," so I, it's like, "Oh, well, you must not really have anything to say," and that bums me out. So anyway, that's that's me complaining about that. <laughs> Put you on the spot. What's your favorite Kiss cover or cover you've ever heard another band do of a Kiss song? Ooh. Um, uh, let me think about what I liked on that. Kiss my ass. Oh, I loved Anthrax's doing she. She's one of my favorite tunes. I like Garth Brooks's uh, Hard Luck Woman. Um, there's some band I've never heard of that I found this on the Kiss FAQ website that did a cover of Naked City. That which Naked City is in my top five Kiss songs. It's my favorite Gene song. I can, but I don't know who they are. I never really looked it up. Um. But I don't, I don't know much about Kiss covers. I had that one big Kiss My Ass record that came out in the mid-90s. Yeah, right. Remember that one, yeah, for sure. And it, it was mostly not gray, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anthrax has done a few others. They've done um, Lover All I Can and yeah. mm. what they... Parasite. Yeah, Parasite. Yeah, they've done Parasite. Oh, fun. Yeah, I know Scott Ian's a big ace guy and he's buddies with ace. And Yeah, but what was it like? Gin Blossom's doing... Christine 16. Christine 16. <laughs> it was like Lenny Kravis did Deuce. Yeah. <laughs> a really weird band called Shandy's Addiction, which was like Tom Morello and Manor James Keenan did Calling Dr. Love, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah um, the Mighty one. Boston's did Detroit Rock City. <clears throat> um, Garth did Hard Luck Woman. What else is on there? The <laughs> Limbin Heads did Going Blind. That's actually pretty good, too. Yeah. God, I forgot about that one. Uh, X Japan did something. Did they do uh, Black Diamond? Yes, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actually pretty good too. Shit, man, that actually is a pretty good record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see a uh, a part two of that, like yeah. modern modern artists doing Kiss songs. Yeah, I, I, you know, Metallica hasn't done a Kiss song yet. I don't know that that might be a good thing though. <laughs> they did, you know, James did mention them when they got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He specifically yeah. mentioned Kiss as being a band that deserved to be there. I know that they have, you know, influences. There are parts of Kill 'Em All that sound like Kiss to me. Really? Uh, like, I'm not. I'm gonna have a time thinking of it. But there's a jam they used to do after She that sounds like a part of Hit the Lights. I think uh, I'm, I sound like a horrible Metallica and Kiss fan, but <laughs> well, I got to go listen now. <laughs> I'm gonna have uh, to go check that out. <laughs> it, you know the bound 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 Oh wait, that's in Shock Me. Uh, I'll 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 find it and I'll send it to you. Nice, nice. Right. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> right on, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Oh, dude, I, I was pleased to get the invitation and and happy to talk uh, Metallica and metal with you guys. I appreciate it. I appreciate the work you're doing over there. Well, thank you, thank you. We we appreciate you. We pre- yeah, this is awesome. That's cool, man. All these years later, you dudes are still buds, still going to see your favorite metal band together. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. My favorite metal band is Pantera. Probably. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, I, I for me the the three the Cowboys from Hell, Vulgar Display, and and uh, Far Beyond Driven are kind of a. Those three records are extremely important to me. And reinventing the steel, I, I kind of skipped over Great Southern Drink Hill for some reason. 
you know, reinventing the steel when I heard it, I wasn't too jazzed, but you go back to it now and it's a great fucking record. Oh man, I love it. it it's I mean, kind of my go to these days. Yeah, yeah. I liked I liked the Rebel Meets Rebel they did with David Allen Coe. Yeah, I've heard that. Very cool. And it, it, not necessarily because of David Allen Coe, but there's just some great riffs on that record. Yeah, and I miss Dime. Some killer solos. Dimebag Daryl is my favorite metal guitar player of all time, more he, than Tony Omi or Jimmy Page, even more than Kirk Hammett, who's my number two. He is the fucking man, dude. <laughs> He's just the man, untouchable. He had the he had the swagger and the moxie and the 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 fun nature of it, but then he just had the straight up, no joke, real serious ripping situation going on. Yeah, dude, they they uh they broke the mold when they made him for sure. Yeah, and his brother too. You know, it's it's sad that they're both gone. There you go, Clint Wells from Metal Up Your Podcast. A huge thank you to him for taking the time out to talk to us for quite a while there. Yeah, definitely an honor. Great conversation. Yeah, that's one we had actually talked about, man, way back. We had thought, we need to try to get one or both of these guys on. Yeah, definitely. After we both started listening to Metal Up Your Podcast, and you like went hardcore on it and like binged like 70 episodes in a row well see what happened in was, the early days and you told me to like get on the, you know and, yeah well, what happened was i was driving around one day listening to chris jericho's podcast and he had gene simmons on and they were talking about how many kiss podcasts there are and blah 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 and it just got me to thinking it's like i wonder if anyone surely someone's done a metallica podcast so i googled it and they were the first ones that came up and it was november it was thanksgiving break it works. So I had like four days straight off. So I just sat in my fucking little pathetic room and drank beer and fucking listened to like 70 episodes all in one weekend. <laughs> wow. Cause I didn't have a life then. So I mean, I did then, you know, cause that's what I found. I found like 70 episodes of that was like this... year zero pre mail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was. <laughs> and so yeah, I just binged it and got caught up with it. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so glad to finally get Clint on here. Yes, maybe we'll have for Ethan sure. on here one day down the line. Yeah, definitely. But like we mentioned up front, if you're a Metallica fan, you know, even if you don't have time to binge seventy or start from one, just look through it and just, you know, pick the one about Master Puppets, pick the yeah. one about the Antarctica show, whatever, just random shit. Yes, you know, and they just give their takes on it. They read, you know, other people's tweets and emails, and it's it's a cool thing. Definitely. I dig it and. Hit up Patreon and follow, look up Met Up Your Podcast. And while you're doing that, look up Thunder Underground. Shoot us a few bucks. Definitely. It helps with the podcast cost and all that great stuff. We'd appreciate it. And if you're listening to this for the first time, we appreciate it as well. So dig back through soundcloud.com backslash thunder dash underground. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, TuneIn, all that great stuff. You can listen to us every Monday night. At 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern on 1027WSNR.com. And we've had on, we've had 206 previous episodes with, if you like Metallica, you might like Megadeth. I think so. We've had on Dave Elfson. We've had on Chris Broderick, who used to be in Megadeth. We just talked to Clint Wells for quite a while there about Kiss. We've had on Gene Simmons. We've had on Bruce Kulick. Yes. We've had on Sid Falk, formerly of Overkill, if you're a fan of Thrash. Hell yeah. We've had on De Ted from Death Angel, guys from Battlecross, Insight, Allegion, Seven Dust, Prong, Sons of Texas, Clutch. Who else? Black Dahlia Murder. 
we've had uh, guys from Julian K on, Childbite, Ghoul, uh, Matt Byrne from Hatebreed. Yep. Can't forget about that one. Uh, yeah, Night Demon. I mean, come on. Yeah, Kevin, that's a- Kevin Martin from Candlebox. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, if you're a fan of like Kill 'em All era Metallica, you need to look up Night Demon. Definitely, definitely. You'd love Night Demon. New wave of British heavy metal has been brought to the forefront. That's right. In 2019. And they've been on this podcast twice. That's right. So you should check it out. Yeah, among many other great bands, Dokken, Tesla, Shooter Jennings, the huge long list, so go check it out. Follow yeah. us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that great stuff. Like, subscribe, whatever it allows you to do. We appreciate it. Share. That's a big help to us as well. And I guess that covers this long-ass episode. Yeah, it? I think we did it, man. All right. Until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. Thank you.